0: I did. I did. If you did not, feel free to fast forward this podcast about two or three minutes, because I want to talk to David about how the media handled some major spoilers last night. So, again, this is your last chance to hit fast forward. Brian Cox's character, the media mogul and very difficult dad, Logan Roy, died on last night's episode. And just after I'd gotten the kids tucked in and was thinking about watching Succession, I go over to the New York Times homepage. And right there at the top, David, is a big picture of Brian Cox with the headline, How Brian Cox Felt About That Big Episode 3 Twist in Succession. (laughs) Not a spoiler exactly, but already I'm on high alert that this is going to be a consequential episode of television. Sure. The subhead was even funnier. It was a pivotal moment for this series, which orbits his character, Logan Roy, a conservative media mogul and political kingmaker. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the LA Times took a slightly different tack.
3: Okay.
1: They
0: wrote a proper newspaper obit for Logan Roy,
1: like in in kayfabe, like as if this was as if he exists in real life.
0: Yes, with only a small disclaimer off on the side that Logan Roy is a fictional character. But the headline reads: Logan Roy, conservative media mogul who shaped contemporary politics, dies at 84.
1: I'm so more so I'm just so I have so many questions about this. Was there information that was like external to the show? Like, did they have access to the show Bible or did they make things up? Well, they they designed the show for as
0: many facts as they could. I'll just read you the top of this. Just days ago, Logan Roy paid a surprise visit to the American Television Network newsroom and delivered a saber rattling only in journalism word, mm-hmm. speech outlining an aggressive vision for the conservative cable news network as it heads into a presidential election. It was mid-afternoon, and standing atop boxes of printer paper, the embattled, holy journalism, mm-hmm. chief executive of media conglomerate Waystar Royco urged his employees to vanquish ATN's rivals, dot, dot, dot. His final ambition was not to be, however. Roy died Sunday while traveling to Sweden aboard a company jet. He was 84, we think.
1: <laughs> but is the we think like a that is that in character or a, is that like we could or, or we couldn't figure it out by watching two seasons of the show
0: at press time we could not confirm the age of fictional character Logan Roy okay so that's pretty funny they yeah. also updated it with comments from the family which were of course comments from that episode mm-hmm. when the family got in front of TV cameras they had a list of survivors <laughs> Toward the end of the obit.
1: This is good content. This is just fantastic stuff.
0: It's really good content. There's just one problem. As soon as they published it, people started tweeting it out. And when you put that link into the tweet, you can see the headline. Logan Roy media mogul is dead. Yeah. So that wasn't a winky winky. Something's going to happen tonight on succession. That was just a straight up spoiler if an incredibly clever one. Mm-hmm. So how do we feel about that? Like, you, you've done something really good. And by the way, if our old pal Julia Turner had anything to do with this over at the LA Times, congrats, salute, you did a great job. Yeah. But are we okay with creating something that, if successful, will be tweeted out and then ruin the show for some oh, segment man. of humanity?
1: Okay, I'm, I am I am... In general, like an information nihilist, I am a borderline spoiler nihilist, uh, and although I do think that like certain spaces should by all means be setting their own parameters, if you are you know frequent a certain Reddit page, you can set your the, the community can set its own rules. Sure, but first of all, the Twitter, like the people tweeting it out, is is insignificant Uh, you can make the la times can make the decision for themselves about whether or not to publish this piece dissemination of said news or said piece should not be their primary concern unless it's like a national security issue or someone's life is at stake you know in, in in the real world um also you know tv is different even in the modern age even in the streaming age tv is different than movies or then books or something else because there's a time on the calendar a day and time in which, for at which this show airs right you're not obligated to watch it then but the news just happened then right like cnn is not waiting for my dinner party if i'm out on election night to release the results right I don't, i can't complain that i'm not following <laughs> along with the news this is news if you care enough about it to complain you're you are implicitly acknowledging that this is big news. Right?
0: That's a good point. You can also just avoid social media for a while, too.
1: Sure. I mean, I think the part of the problem might be that people are so out of touch with show times. They're so, uh, you know, in their own space on when, when I watch the show, that it maybe doesn't occur to them to stay offline. Um, but. I think that the bigger issue, and I think this goes to the larger spoiler question, is if a story is earned that sort of reaction, if a story is well told, then the shock is only a small part of it. And if you're concentrating on the big surprise, the, the, the shocking reveal, then you're doing a disservice to the, the narrative that got you there, that got you to care so much about it.
0: If I'm running the LA Times and people are constantly talking about something in our paper even in a slightly annoyed way. I think I'm I think I'm counting that as a win.
1: Oh, absolutely. And even if it's a even if people are mad, even if more people are mad than not, be proud of what you yeah. created, you know? I mean, I'm that's that's good the, content.
0: Yeah, I'm rooting for the LA Times, but we'll take the wins, baby. <laughs> we're, oh, not gonna, sure. we're not going to think too hard about that at this point in history. We're going to take those wins when we can get them. Yeah. Coming up on today's show, are we rerunning the 2016 presidential election? Al Roker gets some answers from Joe Biden. Should we bring back the CNN show Crossfire or should we bury it even deeper in the ground? Plus, our master's TV scorecard. And David and I ask, how did every movie become a cult classic? All that and much more on the Press Box, a part of The Ringer Podcast Network. Consumers, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Eduardo Ocampo here sitting in for Erica. David, the last few days I have been reading a lot about the 2024 presidential election. And there seems to be a notion out there that it has the same vibes, the risk of using that word, as the 2016 presidential election. Not only does Donald Trump have a very good chance of winning the GOP nomination, He has figured out a way to make the media cover him to the exclusion of everyone else. Now, there are two parts to this idea. One, as Politico's Sally Goldenberg and Natalie Allison report, Trump's Republican opponents are mad that they're not getting any attention. Did you know, for instance, that Nikki Haley was campaigning on the border last week?
1: Um, I don't believe I knew that.
0: Did you know that Mike Pompeo went to Ukraine?
1: No, is Mike Pompeo.
0: Well, not officially in, but his hat is
1: not in the ring, but potentially ringside.
0: (laughs) He's running. (laughs) He is. He has not had his. Incredibly, uh, how shall we say, less than uh, exciting announcement that he is actually running for president, but he is saber rattling, as the L.A. Times likes to say. Did you know, David, that Ron DeSantis was holding puppies while encouraging pet adoption last week?
1: That cannot be true. That would be the two truths and a lie. That would be the lie.
0: (laughs) All true, according to Politico. This is deja vu all over again, said Terry Sullivan, who ran Marco Rubio's 26 campaign for president. Trump dominates media coverage, making it impossible for his competitors to get any coverage or forward traction. So that's the first part. Mm -hmm. Trump was getting indicted. He wasn't really campaigning. He's done barely any conventional campaigning at all. But his very presence is making it hard for anybody to get attention. Part Mm -hmm. two of this is the companion media critique, which is that we are rerunning our 2016 coverage, Mm -hmm. where we see what happens when we talk about Trump see those high ratings that came in for follow Trump's car to the Manhattan courthouse coverage. Yeah. One more quote from that Politico piece. What's frustrating to me is we didn't learn a damn thing from 2015 or 2016 when it comes to just giving him absolute roadblock media coverage, said David Kokel, a veteran of six Republican presidential campaigns. I get it. It's a big story, but this was getting covered like dot, 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 the opening of the war in Iraq or the OJ chase. You couldn't escape it. Speaking broadly, as these critiques tend to be broad, are we covering Trump in a 2016 kind of way as we gear up for another presidential election?
1: If there's a big win for Trump in being indicted by the state of New York, it's that he got... All the news networks got a little taste of what it used to be like again. You had all the... you know, went to your meetings, major, major apologies. You've been living mostly clean for the past couple of years. And then you just got a little whiff of it again. And you're just like, oh, shit, we got it. That, that just it just it just makes it so much easier just to follow <laughs> Trump around.
0: You know, remember when CNN and Fox were ignoring Trump mm-hmm. for different reasons. CNN wanted to take that red countdown clock off the screen all the time. Yeah. Fox had the soft ban. And then last week, it's like, never mind. Trump's back.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's tough, you know? I mean, and especially, and listen, I'm I'm sure Ron DeSantis was doing more than cuddling puppies. Um, I think, on the, you know, on the one hand, we should probably, even at this early stage, do some delineation between the serious and the unserious candidates. Uh, I guess even if an unserious candidate takes a trip to Ukraine, that merits some mention but
0: um, how dare you sir so that mike pompeo is an unserious candidate for president
1: if ron DeSantis is a serious candidate i presume he did more than cuddle puppies and so we can focus on you know maybe you should focus on (laughs) such things but i guess that all kind of begs the question like what makes a serious candidate in the republican party in 2023 right if you don't have the seeming will or trajectory to displace donald trump then are you serious
0: that's a great question. So how much coverage should you be giving to the Pompeo-Nikki-Haley tier to begin with?
1: Yeah. It's like if, if, there, if there was an open field and like nine out of the 10 candidates were just, for some reason, made it their platform position to say that like Iowa is the worst state in the country, and one candidate was like, I love Iowa, and everything rode on the Iowa caucuses, would you really be taking the nine candidates who are determined to lose Iowa seriously? You know, I mean, it just seems sort of like it. you can't just like toss them out, but it does. Just, it just seems it, it, there is a question that, that need that demands an answer. Right. Can you are you really motivated to win?
0: Watching that coverage last Tuesday, if you told me that X number of minutes in all those hours devoted to Trump should have been devoted to the Wisconsin Supreme Court race. It's mm-hmm. a very important election or yeah. the Chicago mayor's race, which is a yeah. very important and also very interesting election.
1: Which, okay. like, no one seemed to really have their head wrapped around until
0: it happened. No, this is like one of those where you're just reading, go, wait, this is happening today?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I, would, I, would, I would grant that. Mm-hmm. I also don't know what cable news, at the risk of defending them, is supposed to do. Former president is getting indicted. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know. And I also think these critiques tend to be so broad. I mean, I had CNN on here before we came on, and... Abby Phillip was doing the Ukraine dock leak, the Tennessee State House news mm-hmm. from over the weekend and the Dalai Lama.
1: There was another mass shooting in my old hometown of Louisville, Kentucky today, which has gotten some oxygen uh but yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's not like there's any it's not like on an otherwise calm day there would have been room for you know, your run-of-the-mill candidate goes to the ASPCA photo op.
0: Can we just agree that they should not cover Ron DeSantis holding puppies under any circumstances?
1: What if he killed the puppies?
0: That would that would be news.
1: Okay.
0: Remember the Mitt Romney thing with the dog on the roof of the car? Mm -hmm. That was a 2012 story. Right. I got to run.
1: If it was like a like a mice and men situation where he accidentally killed the puppy because he was too (laughs) strong.
0: Okay, we'll we'll just move on. We're really going to some dark places here (laughs) with the uh, DeSantis campaign. In other election news, Joe Biden, otherwise known as the Kobe stopper, is running for president. Mm
1: -hmm. We think. think. (laughs) I know where you're going with that one.
0: But he won't say he's running. Mm -hmm. So this morning, a brave journalist attempted to get some clarity on that question. Here is the Today Show's Al Roker trying to pin down Biden at the White House Easter egg roll. So th- this is a fantastic event, one of my favorites of the year. I was just wondering,
3: uh, uh, Mr. President, uh,
0: will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after twenty twenty four? I plan on th- <laughs> at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At
3: least three or four more.
0: Maybe, maybe five. Maybe five. <laughs> maybe
1: maybe well, six. Well,
3: what the hell? Are I don't you know. are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in twenty twenty four? Well, I'll either, so that- I'll, either, I'll either roll an egg or you know being the the you know the guy
0: who's. Them
3: out. come on help a bro- help a brother
1: out make no, some
0: news no, for no, me no. I, well I, I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet all
1: right well. that that's the kind of honesty that we're all begging for begging for from our candidates i plan on running but we're not ready to roll it out yet when you say the thing that we all know that's really super helpful you know it, it, it it's I, it doesn't it feel like we're not being played for rubes for a change
0: as political answers goes that's pretty pretty on the mark. Yeah. Biden even admitted he, hell, he might stick around for six more Easter egg rolls, perhaps looking at <laughs> a Trumpian mandate be, it, to just be president forever.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we've got some new president for life uh, bills that we're trying to push through Congress <laughs> right now.
0: Just Did you like how people? Al Roker, in the midst of a softball interview, had the tricky way of answer, asking the question? Mm-hmm. Will you be around for a few more Easter egg rolls? Probably possibly two, three more Easter egg rolls, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Trying to bait Biden into answering it. This is from the file, David, of Good Idea or Terrible Idea. I can't decide which. Remember the CNN show Crossfire? Of course. For two decades, it pitted one liberal against one conservative in a TV debate. Yeah. Until October 2004, when Jon Stewart entered the chat
1: we talked about this last week
0: here's just one what i wanted to tell you guys yeah stop
2: (laughs) stop 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 hurting america okay now and and come work for us because we as the people how do you pay the people not not well better than cnn i'm sure (laughs) but you can sleep at night see the 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 thing is we need your your help you're, right now, you're helping the politicians and the, 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 the corporations, and we're left
0: out there like to mow them? our lawns. You just lawn. said
2: we're too rough on them when they make mistakes. No, 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 you're not too rough on them. You're
0: part of their strategies. You're partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. That was Tucker Carlson and Paul Bagala getting the business from Jon Stewart. Two amazing things about that clip. One is I had forgotten that it was in front of a live studio audience.
1: Why was Crossfire just being filmed in front of the studio audience?
0: It was in an auditorium, and you would think that the auditorium showed up to see Crossfire, but they were just cheering and applauding the guy who was making fun of Crossfire.
1: Was it a special, like, 92nd Street Y episode of Crossfire yeah, I with think John Stewart as the guest? Oh,
0: okay. Yes. Um, the second amazing thing is that three months after that interview, CNN said, you know what? John Stewart was right. Mm-hmm. These guys are hacks. Show's yeah. canceled.
1: I'm sure that was already in the works, right? I mean by that, it's like when uh when uh, MTV pretended that Bon Jovi playing Wanted Dead or Alive unplugged or acoustically was the inspiration for MTV Unplugged even though it had already been in the works <laughs> for some time, but it was a big media moment and they were like, let's give them credit. We will relinquish credit and piggyback off of that hype.
0: David with an excellent cable bundle analogy there. Well, David, there's a new column. The real ones
1: know what I'm talking
0: about. <laughs> it's a new column in Politico by Michael Schaefer. And he asks, should we bring Crossfire or something like Crossfire back to television? His case is this. Cable news these days is people agreeing with each other. A host brings on somebody who is like-minded and they just talk about how terrible the president is or how terrible the president's opponent is. If there are any confrontations on cable news, they don't tend to be roughly equal people arguing about an issue. They tend to be like MSNBC's Mediasan reading the riot act to Matt Taibbi last week. Mm-hmm. Somebody getting just totally smoked. So should we... Figure out, we meaning David and I as the new heads of CNN, find a way to pit a conservative and a liberal against each other in television combat once again.
1: Off the top, let me just say this sounds like a terrible idea.
0: There are so many.
1: <laughs> I'm going to indulge it. Um, there are so many reasons why this obviously wouldn't work. Let us list some of them um if you are i mean i think that the i think uh, in terms of money in terms of audience in terms of just general footprint it's a much better gambit to just be an unopposed partisan hack on one side or the other mm-hmm. and so just by almost necessity or by definition the quality of of crossfire mm-hmm. contestants or co-hosts or whatever you would get would be lower level
0: right the quality of hack you're saying
1: yeah uh if you're not getting the best you're it's probably not worth doing also in the in the current climate, if you're not getting the best, it's not like you're gonna get somebody who's really smart and yet just a little bit less ready for prime time. You're probably just gonna get somebody if you know watching all the cable networks is any indication. you're probably just gonna get somebody who's just hackier, right Just someone who's like less fun and also just like sticking to just really rote talking points now. There is, I'm sure, like a fantasy football scenario here that, that anybody could come to, where CNN hosts a uh, Thunderdome, you know, once a week, where like MSNBC and Fox send each send two of this like bad love the network stars, where like you just you know each each network sends two of their best and they go at it in like you know Jeffersonian debate style or something. You know, I mean, I, yes, that would be fun and interesting, although. There's no, there's no way to do that. You know, I mean, it, it, there's, it, you know, obviously there be so many logistical and financial and whatever else roadblocks to that. Let alone that's setting aside the fact that presumably everybody you would want to see on television would be first and foremost interested about not looking like an idiot on television, and so they would turn it down. It's the, you know, I'm going to draw all sorts of parallels here. It's the sort of like, dec- you know, the, the the LeBron James declining the slam dunk contest invitation. It's like li- there is literally nothing for me to gain. Right. Only mm-hmm. all I could do is trip and fall. That's the only thing that anyone would ever talk about. Um, it's not gonna. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. I guess if you were really, really committed to it, and we're gonna be really fantastical, you could see a world in which you just signed up a bunch of people like a pro sports league to like you know crossfire farm league contracts or whatever, and then somehow you know, and then you take the best of the best to put on TV. They maybe go one subject each or something, and the fans get to vote on who talks. I don't know how to. There's there's probably some way to do it, but what John Stewart was complaining about was on the money, and it was and he wasn't concerned with the ba- the appearance of balance. He was concerned with hackiness, right? He was concerned yes. with the appearance, not the appearance of balance, but the appearance of but the false premise of newsiness. Right? And that was not going to get... that. There's no way you're going to make a show that solves that problem. It's almost more honest to have opposing sides speaking in vacuums if you look at it from the outside and you're aware of what they're doing than to have them have to, have to quote-unquote face the facts, you know, or face opposition or whatever else. I don't know. There's a version of this that's really fun to imagine, but... And I understand the theoretical... The theoretical point that's being made here, but no, there's no way. man. There's no way. Crossfire 2023 is not going to be a solution to anything.
0: (laughs) That's I got to bring people back to linear television, you know, thing Mm -hmm. related point to the one you just made is that CNN during the Trump years was desperately trying to fill the pro Trump commentator seat Mm -hmm. just on the panel shows tried Jeffrey Lord. Remember that era Mm -hmm. of television? Saw how that turned out. They couldn't find somebody because if you found somebody to fill it, they weren't going to comply with the rules of the game. Like the telling the truth part of Mm -hmm. cable of, you know, or just answering questions in a straightforward fashion or dealing with your side's defects. Mm -hmm. That just didn't work at all. But I will say this. Totally agree with everything you said. I do like the fantasy football aspect of it. Yeah. I do like it if you and I as executive producers were saying, okay, you have to do this. You have to come up with 30 minutes of Crossfire 2023. Who's on your list? What's the best version of the show? And I would almost say like, let's throw out all the MSNBC Fox people. Let's, let's keep them over there. We just got to go out and find two people that we think would be the most interesting television debate, and let's aim high here. Let's 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 try to have a good or at least an interesting thing. I got some names. Go for it. I think the conservative is hardest to cast. Yeah, but if you and I were to push Ross Douthat out in front of the TV camera against a <laughs> liberal, all right. The, don't you think we could at least get people to watch clips on Twitter? Sure. Of how that would go? Mm hmm. What if we have Ross Douthit and Bomani Jones, who I see on CNN a lot? I mean, I would watch that show. I'm not sure that rises. I'm not sure that rises
1: to the level of, of you know, appointment television.
0: I uh, put uh, John Lovett on there.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: If he was involved. Yeah. Uh, Al Franken has resurfaced on Comedy Central, Chafer points uh, out. Yeah. Could do it. Uh Matt Iglesias, I just threw down just for the like, why not?
1: But which is he, is he which side of the crossfire is he sitting on?
0: Ooh. Matt likes to keep his guessing. What if he changed seats during the show? I mean, I think he would issue. pick
1: the leftward seat, but like on certain issues, that might not be that might not be the most like, you know, critical voice that you would that you would want.
0: What if he was in the center, but just a little more to the left than the right? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we just moved great. the seat around based on the guest' partisan inclination. No, I think that Um, I also put Jon Stewart on the list. Like you, you got it. You, you screwed this whole thing up. You got to come back and fix it. Yeah. Why don't you be on the show? I would say that for this to work, I don't think I want full timers. I think I want people to do a week. And I think mm-hmm. you have to promise me that you'll come back if you get your ass kicked. You have to come back the next day and the next day after that. Yeah. And you probably will want to come back. Because yeah. you don't want to leave, as you say, there's there, there's something to lose here. And you don't want to leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Again, I don't think there's a good idea in anything, but would I like kind of like to see this? Mm-hmm. At least again, at least a clip of this on Twitter so that I could, you know, send it to you and we could have a nice chuckle about it. Yes, I would.
1: All right, I have, I have, I have another idea. What if we bring back Crossfire, but it's like the '80s version of Crossfire, with, you know, the 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 Braden Buchanan era of Crossfire. Maybe you could take it back even further because I don't know if '80s feels old timey enough. But I want, I want old fashioned. Political like I want it to seem like it's like the the film quality and the debating people are out of American history,
0: yeah, so somebody's smoking, but, but on they're the
1: actors show? they're actors they're performers, but debating current events in earnest, right we, script, we we can script their debates or at least script their talking points and have them like, yeah, smoking cigars sitting cross legged with a really low coffee table in between them, and <laughs>
0: Somebody and, like playing Nixon? Like I don't totally understand who's doing this.
1: No, no, no. There's they're, they're they're fictional characters okay. debating current issues.
0: Like 1960s guy.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: With glasses like uh, well, like this the ones way we you and I are have wearing to, now.
1: Yeah, they, <laughs> they they don't have to think about this way we don't have to think about the people and whether or not they're hacks. No, no, no. They're earnestly scripted to the best of either side's ability. So really we're just accumulating writing teams here. And then there's talking heads that go out with really no less legitimacy than most of the people that we see on cable television and debate these things.
0: (laughs) Coming up on the Press Box in just 30 seconds, how did every bad movie become a cult classic, a.k.a. the Mario question? But first, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious. But all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the Pressbox pod where they are always, always gratefully received. Sure, you saw this news in the NBA. Minnesota Timberwolves big man Rudy Gobert threw a punch at his teammate Kyle Anderson on the sidelines yesterday. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, wow, Rudy finally hit a shot outside the paint. (laughs) You think that joke's worth four number one draft picks or given David's polite chuckle, maybe just one, congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by
2: Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles And your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on
0: cars.com. All right, David, notebook dump time. Did you catch any of the masters before you settled down to watch succession? A little oh, bit, not much. Okay. couple of notes for you uh, from the TV critic file here. Several listeners sounded the old guy still got it siren for us on Sunday. Mhm. When Phil Mickelson got into the clubhouse at 8 under, Phil Mickelson, 52 years old, wound up finishing second at the Masters, was wearing those really big sunglasses. Mhm. Bruce Arthur on Twitter compared him to a weathered arms dealer. <laughs> and speaking of which, this to me was the most interesting part Of the whole weekend was the awkwardness of the live golf storylines. Yes. We know sports writers don't really care who wins tournaments, games, stuff like that, but they do root for stories. Yeah. They root for the outcome that will let them write the best story. Mm -hmm. The story they might already have a bunch of notes on or be yeah. inclined to write anyway. And it was clear at the outset of the tournament that many, many sports writers did not want one of the live guys who left the PGA for the Saudi funding tour to win. Then Brooks Kepka started playing really well, mm-hmm. led the masters through three rounds. He also had that press conference. I don't know if you saw this where he's like, you know, When I left, when I went to live, I thought my knees were completely shot and I couldn't compete with these guys anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to take the guaranteed money because I think I'm just kind of done physically. Then he got better and played amazing golf for three rounds. Not so great in round four winds up, uh, not winning the tournament. So there was at least a little like, okay, well. This would suck, but Brooks Kepka, this is kind of a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And then Mickelson comes along on Sunday. And it's like, oh, wow. This is the guy who gave that unbelievable, unbelievably incriminating quote to Alan Shipman, the face of live golf. But a 52 year old playing insane golf on Sunday at the Masters. Mm-hmm. You could feel the sports writer's psyche kind of doing an arm wrestling match with itself just being like eh, this is this is this is bad and weird right this would be a really impossible gamer to write on sunday right yeah but also something kind of amazing if phil mickelson were to win the masters mm-hmm. i felt it really hit the uh the end point when patrick reed also played well on sunday for a while be like, and eh, never mind i know i'm not rooting for that Yeah. You don't want that to happen. All good. Do not want to write a Patrick Reed wins the Masters Gamer in 2023. <laughs> also funny comment from Jim Nance. You and I noted that live golf after searching for a TV deal wound up on the CW. Yeah. I want you to listen to how Jim Nance described this Brooks Kepka shot. Kepka had no choice but to lay up. Right on the CW. The crosswalk.
1: <laughs> oh, fantastic work.
0: Were you familiar with that abbreviation for crosswalk?
1: No. <laughs> I've heard
0: the conventional wisdom in Washington or something.
1: No, that's that's just that's just synchronicity, man.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna tell my kids when we're downtown LA next time. Let's walk all the way down the block so we can cross at the CW. A uh, number of rain delays on over the weekend, mm-hmm. which meant that this really loud siren went off. And then you could hear a voice speaking over what appeared to be a very old-timey loudspeaker telling the patrons <laughs> what to do. Very strong, the regime has fallen vibes at the Masters. <laughs> but the big technical innovation was the walk and talk. Now, there's a term I'd always understood to describe a reporter following a senator down the hallway at the Capitol. We're going to do a little walk and talk. Not going to stop and talk to me, but I can get a quote as we go here. It also turns out to mean interviewing a golfer while they're on the course. CBS busted out this surprise at the Masters on Thursday. Here is golfer Max Homa talking to Andrew Catalan as he walked up the 14th fairway
1: and max Homa is joining us now max it's andrew catalan we had rory join us back at the ninth we thank you so much for joining us here at 14 you just made your first birdie of the day at 13 how would you characterize your round so far i'm very happy i made my first birdie before i had to talk to you guys <laughs> with the O first so that was a big moment uh day's been pretty frustrating uh, everything feels quite good i've Driven it well, just made a sloppy uh, bogey on eight and just gotten some distance control. Uh, my
0: distance control just hasn't been awesome. So that's where this place exposes you. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe one birdie will turn this thing around. We've seen versions of this in baseball mm-hmm. and in the pre-pandemic XFL. Right. Talking to players and coaches during the game. Yeah. How do you feel about this as the next frontier of sports television?
3: Um,
1: I frankly think it's a smart move. You know, the other the other time that you hear the phrase "walk and talk" is when I think very specifically, but it's been used other other times. But talking about Aaron Sorkin's show, The West Wing, because like oh. so much of the show is so when 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 a show is like that is is necessarily so constrained to like a couple of tiny offices, the the real brilliance of it was that. You can have the same conversations walking down the hall from one one room to the next, and you can just sitting boringly around a coffee table or something. It gives it some urgency, and I think that there's, I think that that conveys into the sports world actually pretty well. The sports is just is is by definition active, and even if you're not one of the people running up and down the field or swinging the golf club or whatever, I mean, you can see how much coaches just like the test being made to stand still for 30 seconds to say something about the half that they just played mm-hmm. right i mean it's like it's inherently like taking a break from the thing that matters to do another thing that game matters you know whatever but it doesn't really it's not it's not what you're there to do um and i think you know you catching you catch somebody in motion between two things that they had to do anyway it makes a lot of sense. I think, frankly, the coaches would probably rather just have that conversation on the way to the locker room, like literally moving. Hey, you got to walk down here anyway. hmm You know? Maybe Indulge put the locker me. rooms a little bit further down. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like when you talk about like the sidle, all the different ways to like talk to players backstage. Isn't like the cream of the crop just like walk with me to my car? Like, let's just like, come on. We're, like, let's yes. go have this conversation.
0: Yeah. The little, the, the sidle. Absolutely.
1: But yeah, I mean, I, I, think that, I think that doing it in motion has a weird propulsion to it not just in the literal sense but like it you know it keeps you talking also you're not you're doing another thing so you're almost by inherently not like you, you it's a little bit harder to avoid the point right if you're if you're walking down the street talking to somebody I feel like in, in a weird way you're more likely to get some honesty
0: out of them golf is perfectly set up for this because there's a lot of walking so that Max Homa in that clip had just hit his tee shot he's got a long way to go As you say, he's got time. And I think what's cool about it, as CBS used it this weekend, and the networks have played around with this with other golf tournaments before, is you can address the thing that you're doing right now. Yeah, It's not just, hey, coach, what would you think of your defense in the first half? It's like, you just hit a shot, describe it to us, Mm. and then talk to us about your next shot. And how you're going to hit it and how this green is where the hole is, how this how this hole is laid out. Right. You can actually give the viewer interesting information rather than just cliches. So that was really fascinating. And then I totally
1: agree. Yeah. I think in general, when you interview somebody, you're looking to get detail. Right. Yes. And some of the hardest things to do when you're doing an interview like you do on this show is to put someone back in a specific place or I, I want to ask you about the time that you were filling in the, you know whatever and who knows if they're going to remember how that felt how much setup it's going to take to get to that point you know there's a great value to like getting whoever famous golfer or athlete in general to sit down for an hour and really dig in but I'd say more often than not you're probably going to get more interesting answers just by saying if you could just like appear in a puff of smoke and be like tell me about what just happened
0: (laughs) and what you're about to do next yeah like home is about to hit his approach shot Mm -hmm. like you we can we can actually do what just happened and what's about to happen yep golfers by the way do this and my very limited experience being in those press rooms right after a round especially at Mm -hmm. a major they will sit there and often take the press through their round hole by hole especially if they had a really particularly good round Yeah. So as you say, you're just kind of doing that in real time. Mm -hmm. And specificity, dude, absolutely. Whenever I get mad at those sideline reporter interviews after a football game, I'm like, no, no, I just want you to ask about a big play. Mm -hmm. Show the quarterback with your little stand there a replay of something that happened and get him to describe it and tell us something about that play that we don't know watching on television. Yeah. And. It was really clear in golf. It was so funny because so Homa hit his, hit his tee shot. They talked to him. Then they basically eavesdrop do do sort of, you know, legal eavesdropping of him talking to his caddy. He hits his next shot. It's not very good. And then they talk to him again about that shot. And then they eavesdrop on, on him on the green as he finishes up the hole. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. Now, here's the thing that could kill this. Absolutely. If a golfer screws up immediately after doing one of these walk and talks. This is from the New York Post, uh, writing about Justin Thomas, who did one on Saturday. When the interview was over, Thomas promptly bogeyed the par 5 15th hole to fall to two over. Then he bogeyed 17 and 18 to drop to four over for the tournament and missed the cut by one. Thomas, who didn't speak to reporters afterward, looked distraught. So he did the walk and talk. Then he missed the cut. And then he didn't talk to reporters after the tournament. Hmm. So we may get reporters weighing in on the walk and talk slightly differently.
1: But do the walk if, if 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 there's a walk and talk, and then somebody does well do you think that will reflect positively on the walk and talk experience sure if you do the walk and talk out all the time eventually you're going to get some birdies out of it so
0: come get me ones. again come come dial me up again this is great let's talk yeah. some more golfers are superstitious just like anybody else by the way this is probably not going to happen like on sunday at any tournament especially a major trying to win a major. Like, I just kind of don't have time for this right well, I now. I love the
1: idea of them just having unfettered access, like someone's lining up the putt on the 18th hole or something, and you're just like, hey, one Mr.
0: Minute. Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you what you're doing here. Mr. McElroy, can I just have one more second before you tap that in? One more topic for you, David. The new Super Mario Brothers movie. Number one at the box office. Yeah. The New York Times did one of those classic culture pages pivots. We're not going to write about this Super Mario Brothers movie. We're going to write about the 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh. Which starred Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as Mario and Luigi. And you'll remember, because you are old enough to remember, bombed financially and has a 28% rating of Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Well, this line in the story by Darren King stuck out to me. Today, Super Mario Brothers, meaning the 1993 version, has been the subject of something of a reappraisal, achieving a surprising cult status in the process. Here's my question for you. Have we reached an age in the media where everything, even stuff that objectively sucks, has become a cult classic? quote unquote, Mm -hmm. I started thinking about this because sometimes before I go to bed, I read Wikipedia pages. Everybody does that. And sometimes I'll read the Wikipedia pages of terrible movies as a way to revisit them without actually watching them. And you'll notice it's like the movie was terrible financially. All the critics hated it. But in later years, it has become a cult classic. I swear that line is in every Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is this really a cult classic? Like, I understand how the Rocky Horror Picture Show became one because they were playing it and then people started coming to costumes and then they were doing the lip syncing and sure. that became a cult classic. I understand how certain movies bombed at the theater and then everybody bought it on video or DVD back in the day. Yeah. And it had this second life.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But now we're in this age where if you have something that stunk in the past, Somebody will make a podcast about it. Yeah. Somebody will create a website. Somebody will make an amateur documentary that they'll put on YouTube about it. Yeah. So is isn't everything kind of a cult classic at this yeah, point? Yeah, everything is a cult
1: classic because every first of all, everybody's has their the fandoms are sometimes ironic fandoms. It's sort of indistinguishable, right? And then you start take then you start living in that ironic fandom and taking it super seriously um and also you talk about people buying vhs and blu-ray i mean people don't really buy even dvds anymore no but because of access on streaming platforms and even the even when we pay to to download things and stream them more people are almost i guarantee more people are watching your run-of-the-mill box office bomb when it pops up on their streaming platforms than ever would have taken the time to watch the Super Mario Bro- Brothers movie from 1993 before. Absolutely, um, it's just just numerically, you know. I mean, it, it makes more it makes sense that more people will have seen it now. So whatever the metric used to be for, you know, Rocky Horror P- Picture Show or whatever else, that is going to get the bar goes up and up. I mean, people are so many people are going to you know are going to watch. Also, people, everybody wants to have a unique sort of fandom. So like. Whatever you go to Comic Con, there's going to be people dressed up as Mar- the specific Mario costume from the you know 1993 live action film, right? Everybody mm-hmm. wants to have their everybody wants to have their window. I mean, wants to have their little wedge. Um, but it is weird. I mean, I think that no one cares enough about the concept of quote classics, or not enough people. I, I don't know who it would be. I presume someone out there does deeply care about that terminology, but I guess no one really cares enough to dispute the point when it pops up on a Wikipedia page. You know, I mean, but but there's, yeah, and and there's, I think at the end of the day, we're really in a, oh God, now I have two more things. One, because of our limited, because of the limitations of media and just our kind of resources, they, we went to a lot fewer movies when we were growing up than like we do now, the, you know, whatever. If the national, if Siskel and Ebert were like two thumbs down, that could just, that was just it, right? If Pauline Kale is just like, never, just this, this movie is trash. A lot of people would be like, thank goodness, I don't have to put that one on my list. I don't have to spend my time and money to go to deal with this movie. It's done, yes. right? Now you just have it. Now it's like, I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what Rotten Tomatoes said as much as much as people love to complain about the ratings on there. Oh, this popped up on Netflix at the exact moment that I'm looking for a thing? Okay, I'll push play. You know, I mean, it's just we're so we have so much more time and 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 whatever. and And the and you're interested to see a bad movie because it's bad. You know, you're just like, oh, I just want to get the flavor of this thing. We just have so much more at our fingertips. Now, does that make it somehow different than what a, uh, oh, a cult classic? That's very different than what we think of as a cult classic. All of that stuff combined.
0: I agree. And by the way, I think that's cool that things can have the just constant reappraisal. Mm-hmm. That It's not Siskel and Ebert and Pauline Kale and the old guardians of culture Yeah, get to have you know, the final say, or or just how the movie was released and marketed. Yeah. And that's it. I also do think it also creates this culture where nothing actually really failed because mm-hmm. it was rediscovered at some point for a podcast. Yeah. Or Quentin Tarantino was showing it at the New Bev down mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles. And it's like, by the way, he actually showed the old Mario Brothers movie the other day. It's like, there's just nothing. I mean, Bill had that... A riff on his pod that I thought was so funny a couple weeks ago, where he's like, People will find an NBA draft bust and cut up like two minutes of clips of him. I think he was talking <laughs> about Jason Williams, and he's like, Jason Williams was a problem. Yeah. And you're like, You're right. This two minute clip package shows Jason Williams was the best basketball player of all time. Unfortunately, he was not. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we all love the nostalgia, right? It's like, dude, awesome. Jason Williams, I remember him hmm that's cool i think that's the same impulse
1: i don't know which of the various jason williams is you're talking about and i don't think it matters that's kind of the best part about it uh yeah no you're right i, I do think that they're also in a when it comes to movies and stuff they know, they always say the opposite of love is not hate it's like apathy you know and and there's a there's probably a, a great swath of movies to which we're so apathetic that we would never be having, they would never enter into the context of this conversation. I think bad movies end up rebounding in a weird way. I mean, movies that sort of get panned or whatever, that's sort of how you do this because we are in a weird, just like all art is good art moment in history. Even though we all have opinions and opinions are spoken more loudly and more vociferously than ever, by more people than ever in history, it's okay to watch 1993 Super Mario Brothers and be like, but Bob Hoskins was a problem. You know, like <laughs> and I mean that as a compliment. I mean that in the two-minute clip highlight yeah. clip reel. Bob just Hoskins like, look was at,
0: a problem. Look at what
1: he did here. Look at that. He took you this is the dumbest movie ever. Bob Hoskins turns in a freaking performance. You know, well, and, and it was can, a problem. And you could, yeah, and you can appreciate it just for that, you know.
0: I'm really interested in the new category, which is movies that flopped but were not rediscovered as cult classics. Oh, yeah. I was trying to figure out what that one was. Remember the snowman that everybody made fun of?
1: That is one that I've not, every time it comes up, my wife and I have both separately read some of your know, Nesbo books. Like We're like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it definitely is in our wheelhouse topic-wise and everything. And every time it comes up, she's like, have we seen this? And I'm like, no, that's the one that's just famously bad, like, but not like <laughs> good bad. Like, I think it's bad, bad. But that's apathy. That's where it's just like, should we give it a shot? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just don't. Do we have any other options? I don't even want to find out. Like, but I'm don't not that interested. people still
0: tweet, dear Mr. Police?
1: <laughs> but that Do was from could... the trailer. That wasn't have a from second the movie. That's kind of a weird. <laughs> as a meme.
0: <laughs> Speaking of memes, it's time for David Shoemaker Guesses a Strain Pun Headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about a Texas lawmaker who wanted to ban Larry McMurtry was loathsome dud. Today's headline comes from valued listener Jeff D. Burrow in Toronto. It's from the Toronto Star. It's about a golfer that won the Masters this year, not a live guy, John Rahm. Pretty straightforward here, David. Rahm atop the leaderboard. What was the Toronto Star's strain punt headline?
1: God, this, I feel like this could be a lot of different things. Rom on top, Rom, uh Rom Romulus and <laughs> Now you're going uh, back to succession. Rom Rom um Rom was built in a day, right? <laughs> rom uh You
0: won a previous major, so
1: yeah, um Rom um so many things rhyme with Rom. Um uh,
0: what if I said room? I Think room. Room? Yeah, Rom with basic. a view? Rom with a... That's uh, funny, but...
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. Rom... Um, room... Room to grow, room to... Dude, I have no idea.
0: Sorry, time's up, Mr. Shoemaker. There's Rom it? at the top. Oh. There's Rom at the top. Yeah,
1: I, would, I would have
0: never that. It works. That. It does, yeah. It works. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Eduardo Ocampo. Thank you, Eduardo. I'm back later this week with Pressbox Final Edition. Shoemaker and I return for another cold classic next Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See
1: you later, Brian.